Welcome to the Creditors Bargain Podcast. This is a show where I discuss corporate insolvency law with guests who are academics or practitioners from different jurisdictions. I'm your host, Akshaya Kamalnath, a senior lecturer at the Australian National University College of Law. This podcast is aimed at anyone interested in corporate insolvency. If that's you, I hope you'll join me along this journey. Our first guest is Paulina Fishman, who is currently about halfway through her PhD at the University of Adelaide. We are discussing her article, Insolvency Law to the Rescue and the Zombies Arise. I'll post a link to this article in the show notes. Paulina, thanks for joining me today. Thanks very much. It's great to be here. Before we begin, can I ask what your PhD is about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'm really, really interested in uh, voluntary administration and deeds of company arrangement. I think they're just amazing, really cool instruments. And so I'm looking at part 5.38 of the Corporations Act, and I'm trying to understand really what the aims are of that regime, and then also how the provisions operate together and I guess the really fascinating bit for me is the use and the potential for misuse of that regime. So um, what is it supposed to be used for? Um, and then how is it being used? And what can we do to sort of more efficiently achieve the aims, I guess? So that's really interesting. And I think a lot of that comes through in this paper we're going to discuss today. So let's start by asking you what, according to you, are the aims of corporate insolvency law? <laughs> yeah, that, that's a huge question. Um, yeah. And if I may, I, I think the best way for me to try to answer it is to kind of step back in time to when we're dealing with individual bankruptcies. Um, so if we think about that kind of period, uh, what was the law's like initial approach or initial attitude to individuals who do not pay their debt, fail to pay their debts. Um, And at the very beginning, it it wasn't very um, pleasant uh, the way that debtors could be treated. I mean, uh, in cases of like dishonesty um, in the United Kingdom, uh, a trader could be put to death for failure to pay debts if if there was dishonesty involved. Um, They could have an ear nailed uh, to a pillory and then cupped cut off. I mean, it was really kind of, Ouch. yeah, really scary stuff. Um, and so the law's attitude was kind of like punishment, right? We, we need to punish this behavior. Um, and then we had a period where imprisonment for debt became um, a big thing in the UK. Uh, so even like in the 1850s, you've got, uh, you know, the book by Charles Dickens, Little Dorrit, Uh, pointing out how people would just kind of spend their lives in debtors' prisons. Um, And I I think I saw statistics to the effect that sort of in the 1850s, there were over a thousand people in debtors' prison, and roughly a quarter of those were for a debt that was six pounds or less. Um, And some of those people had spent like 40 years in prison. Um, So this was kind of the, you know, kind of the traditional kind of we must punish sort of attitude. Um, 
if it, and, and the trouble with that, it wasn't even if the debtors were dishonest, you know. Um, so you could have this situation where you've got people who are really just unfortunate, just really unlucky. Um, something external has happened that's preventing them from being able to pay off their debts. Um, and, you know, eventually, I think attitudes changed and it, it sort of became less about we must punish and more about, well, if there's anything intentional that is deliberately bad, you know, fraud, um, deceiving your creditors, this sort of thing, hiding your assets, then we may still want some kind of punishment, um, not necessarily cutting off people's ears, um, but, uh, but still some kind of punishment for those scenarios. But those you would think would be the exception and that most people don't set out uh, to defraud creditors and this sort of thing. And so this, this idea um, sort of, which was embodied in, in a statute, I think for the first time in 1705 in the UK um, of discharge emerged. And so the idea there is that uh, you could have really just unfortunate people getting into debt and they deserve some kind of a fresh start in life. They, they, they shouldn't be forever burdened with the fact that they, um, through misfortune, got into the situation where they've got a debt that they just cannot pay off. And so this idea that if the person um, is bankrupt and they're willing to give up their assets for distribution among their creditors to try to sort of meet their debts as best they can, then at some point they should be able to sort of have a fresh start in life um, to try again and that this should be encouraged, uh, particularly where, the, again, as I said, no malice, no intention to defraud, just this is what's happened. And so you might say that we sort of had this aim of giving, you know, honest in, individuals a, a fresh start. And that makes, I think, intuitive sense as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so um, so we've got this sort of thing, um, you know, we want to punish the, the, the really bad behavior, but we want to um, allow individuals a fresh start. But then really, what are we talking about here? We're talking about deaths. And so at the end of the day, it has to come back to the aim uh, being to pay off the creditors as much as we can um, and as efficiently as we can and as fairly as we can. And so this is something that's always been at the heart of bankruptcy. And so moving on from that to corporations, um, I think that still has to be the, the core aim to, to repay creditors as fairly and efficiently and um, as well as the, the debtor can. And then separately, perhaps a name to punish intentional wrongdoings. Um, and then perhaps it, we have to consider, can we translate this fresh start policy, which makes total sense for individuals, um, to what extent, if any, do we want that incorporated into a scenario where we're looking at a debtor company? Because we, with a fresh start policy for humans, obviously the motivation is they're, they're human beings, they're people, they deserve dignity. And if they did nothing wrong, then uh, they deserve a fresh start because of their um, uh, value as a human, but but a company is not a living thing. It's it's a legal fiction. Um, it doesn't have emotions and things like this. So so it's not so much that we pity the company, right? It's it's more um, 
are there economic reasons for why it should continue to operate? Um, so, so I think to sort of in a long-winded way to answer your question, I think we, we definitely want to um, recognize the aim of paying off the creditors and doing so fairly. And probably if there's wrongdoing, we, we want to monitor that and address that. But the, I think the part where it can get a bit tricky is, do we want to just incorporate 100% of the fresh start policy that we rightly have in relation to individuals into this corporate insolvency law context? That's, that's a fascinating discussion drawing from the personal uh, insolvency or bankruptcy uh, processes and ideas. Um, so if I understand you correct, correctly, when we're thinking about the aims of corporate insolvency law, we just add to this idea of a fresh start because every human uh, human's life is valuable. We tweak that a little in the corporate context and say that where this company is economically viable, um, then we need to give it a chance at a fresh start. Is that uh, how we tweak the aims? Well, that, that, that can be one of the ways to approach it. I mean, you could say, I guess you could find sort of multiple ways to reach the same end. You could say one way is to sort of say, let's just incorporate the fresh start policy and then put limitations on it in the context of companies. And the other way is to say, um, let's have a sort of different name for it. Let's, let's avoid the fresh start label because it might be confused with what fresh start means in the bankruptcy context. And let's instead say, we're all about the economics of the situation, the viability of the firm. And it's not so much that we feel so sorry for the company, oh, it really should have a fresh start, it should have a second chance. It's more, uh, is it uh, going to maximize returns for creditors as a whole uh, to have this company continuing and running its business, perhaps with some restructuring, but, but still, um, the same entity and running, um, you know, mostly for the most part, the same business. Of course, there is the other option, which is actually to sell the business um, either to another individual or another entity. And in that way, have the business continue, but not necessarily in the hands of the company. And that question should also be, uh, I think, an, an economic uh, question. Um, in some cases, it may be better to leave it with the present company. Um, so I'm uh, an admirer of the work of uh, Thomas Jackson and uh, Professor Jackson has written particularly um, sort of an, in multiple texts, but including in the logic and limits of bankruptcy that uh, you, you might have scenarios where you actually want the business to remain in the hands of the current company. Um, and one of the examples he gives is if you've got um, shareholders who are really adding value and kind of a unique um, uh, set of skills to the business. So you might have a closely held company where you've got um, sh shareholders perhaps being only a few and perhaps those people or one of those people is also uh, a director and is really contributing to what the business is doing. If they've got sort of unique skills and unique things that they can add to this business, it may actually be that the business is worth the most to the marketplace in the hands of its current um, uh, shareholders. And so there may be scenarios where you want that, but sometimes the economics of it suggests that 
you'd be better off selling the business to a third party who can run the business better. And, and in that case, the company itself can be um, liquidated. So it's, it's not so much that we want to think of, well, how can we keep the assets in the hands of this debtor company? Um, it's more what, what's going to maximize returns for creditors and be most efficient overall in the marketplace. Yeah, thanks. And I think you've really taken us to uh, a key difference between thinking about bankruptcy in the personal uh, insolvency con context and corporate insolvency. In a corporation, we have various um, stakeholders behind that corporation. And you've mentioned shareholders, people who control the company, people who uh, run or manage the company. Um, so I think there are all these issues that play into how we think about um, the aims of corporate insolvency. And you mentioned uh, quite um, key, a, a key stakeholder in this context, of course, are uh, creditors of the company. Um, but my next question is going to take us to a different set of stakeholders that we've come to talk about quite often in the corporate insolvency context. Um, so what do you think um, insolvency law uh, should, or sh should insolvency law even focus on employees? Yeah, that's, that's a really uh, fascinating question. I think quite complicated, uh, but I, I think broadly I can address it like, like this. I think em employees and, and sort of preserving employment is quite rightly a priority for, for governments. Like it, it makes total sense that you would want people who want a job to be able to find one and keep it. Um, and I think we can all recognize that we'd be better off uh, if, if that were the case, if we lived in a world where everyone who wanted a job could, could have one. Uh, the, the difficulty that arises is when we ask ourselves which job and, and where that person ought to be. So if you've got a business that is not, uh, not really succeeding in the marketplace, um, and it's not just sort of financially struggling in the sense of like a short-term liquidity problem, but it's really got fundamental issues. Um, so it's economically not, not sound. Um, and we might say it's not, it's not viable. So if that were the case, in, and if we're trying to just preserve employment, then our response would be, let's try to rescue this situation by keeping the company alive and, and maintaining and preserving this business. And thereby all the employees that are involved in this business will get to keep their jobs. So I, I can sort of understand that logic, but the problem that can arise is that if the business is not viable, then it's really sort of a, not a sustainable position to take. Probably over time, this business is going to keep running out of money and keep needing rescue, um, unless sort of external things like demand shifts or something like this. So the people who are employed there, those jobs are not great jobs. Probably there's, there's not much prospect for sort of growth and, and bonuses and things like this. It's, it's not an ideal place to work. And so if you actually move those employees elsewhere, so if you use the insolvency process uh, and you uh, either have this business sold elsewhere to others who can run it better, 
um, or perhaps it, it just needs to be dismantled entirely, then you would have a scenario where those employees are temporarily uh, out of work while they look for new jobs. But if you allow that to happen, then they may end up finding work at a business that's actually viable and has prospects for long-term growth and long-term economic health and would be contributing to the economy uh, in a much better way. And in fact, also by dismantling the original business, which was not viable, uh, you could have those assets being used by new businesses that enter the marketplace and used perhaps very efficiently um, to great advantage to the economy as a whole, perhaps creating more jobs and so forth. So there's this short-term view of it, which is we don't want people to lose jobs. But if you look at it from a sort of longer term point of view, um, if, if the economics of the situation say, well, this business isn't viable and really should just be dismantled, um, it, it may in fact in the long run be better for employment overall in the economy because you'd be looking at creating new jobs with new businesses entering that are using capital from this previously dismantled business. Um, there would be opportunities for the employees that were in this business to find better jobs where there's growth prospects and so forth. So in, in a sort of short-term sense, it's very sad and tragic if people have to lose their jobs. In a long-term sense, it may in fact be better for the economy uh, if you allow the market process to kind of play out and and have those employees move to where they're really valued from an economic sense valued, um, then stay in a business where um, they might have sort of close connections, uh, you know, friends there and so forth. But economically, what they're doing is not particularly valued because the business isn't a successful business. So I, th I think if we're actually deciding between do we sell the business, do we dismantle the business, or do we keep the business in its present company um, and continue it? I think that choice, if, if you try to focus just on employees, there would be a sort of conflict between um, in, in certain cases. So if the business is not viable, there would be a conflict because on the one hand, with sympathy for the employees, you want it to continue. On the other hand, the economics of it suggests that it really shouldn't. Um, and because of that potential for conflict, to kind of resolve it, you need to have priorities. You know, what do we value more? Preserving employment or, um, and, and which means we'd like to save the business sort of in all cases, or uh, is it more important to allow the marketplace to do what it does best and to move resources to their highest and best use? And therefore that means in the short run, we'll, we'll have some loss of employment in a specific business, but then, there could be gains elsewhere. And so I think I would follow um, sort of the thinking of Jackson on this and say that it's probably better to let the marketplace uh, work. Um, and that's not to say the market's perfect. I mean, we have market failures and things like this, but but as a sort of a general rule, um, if, if the business is struggling and it's not just a temporary liquidity problem, but is really a fundamental problem with it, I think it's better for the economy overall to allow that business to be dismantled. But that's not to say that we don't care about employees at all. I mean, in insolvency law, there's this sort of idea of you want to maximize the pool of assets so that you can maximize returns to creditors. But then 
there's the separate question of uh, how do we divide up that pool of assets? And in that sort of, uh, when you reach that second question of, okay, we, we've done the, we've taken the course which will maximize returns, whether it be for the business to continue or not. But then after that, how do we actually divide the pool of assets? And you might have priorities for employees and um, things like that. So I, I definitely think employees are relevant to the process. The question is, do you want to make it an independent aim of corporate insolvency law just to keep businesses running for the sake of uh, making sure that nobody is fired um, or made redundant? And I think to extend what you were saying earlier on, that this may not be uh, in the short-term interests of employees, that is um, letting, the letting the company be uh, liquidated or sold or to, to a different buyer or whatever. Uh, but it's still in the long-term interests of employees to be in a place, I think you were saying, to be in a company where there are growth possibilities um, and there could be opportunities to have uh, performance bonuses, et cetera, in such a uh, company that's doing well as against a company that's struggling to uh, make ends meet. So I think um, it's it's not so much um, a, a point that often gets missed. I, I thought of uh, pulling that out of what you just said and highlighting it. Uh, but to extend what you were saying about um, the focus on corporate rescue. Um, and I think this links back to your earlier, um, earlier on in this conversation, you were talking about uh, how when we use the term fresh start, uh, it may lead to some confusion where we start to think that we need to give the company and the people behind the company, so that focus on employees as well, a fresh, fresh start no matter what. Um, so has that, uh, there has been quite a lot of focus on corporate rescue uh, and the fresh start in Australia. So how has that uh, worked out in the voluntary administration process? Yeah, well, we... So, so if I can, before I jump into Australia, if I could just refer to the UK again, mm -hmm. um, there was this uh, review committee chaired by Sir Kenneth Cork um, and in the UK looking at uh, England and Wales situation with insolvency law. And they produced a report uh, that's referred to as the, the Cork report, um, which I think was really, um, really kind of important in this in developing this idea of corporate rescue and um, a rescue culture and trying to bring that out and a point that was made in that report is that um, you know communities can be really devastated if you have a company um, that's employing a lot of people in that community uh, that is then um, you know unsuccessful and is liquidated um, you know, a lot of those people um, could, could struggle in the short term to find work. And so the Cork report really kind of brings out this idea that what about the people behind the enterprises? We need to have more possibility in our insolvency framework for rescuing companies and uh, continuing the businesses so that entire communities are not devastated in this way. And, and like intuitively, again, it just, it makes sense that you would feel sorry for the plight of workers in those situations. Of course you would. But then the Cook report sort of goes further and, and puts forward this idea that one of the aims 
of insolvency law is to preserve, and, and they do say viable enterprises. So there is that qualification from the beginning. But then they proposed uh, mechanisms to introduce new mechanisms. And uh, one of them is company voluntary arrangements, so CVAs, and the other is administration. And that was enacted in the UK with the Insolvency Act of 1986. And, and they still have these mechanisms in the UK today. And so um, the idea there is that these mechanisms create opportunity for preserving viable businesses um, and really in, in the hands of the companies often. Um, so not always a sale, sometimes the actual company can continue to run the business. And so we've got this sort of uh, kind of, I guess, push towards a, a rescue culture uh, why let viable businesses be liquidated? And, and that makes sense if they are in fact viable. Um, and, and then we come to Australia. And so in Australia, we had a similar process where um, uh, there was a Law Reform Commission report and the person in charge was uh, Ronald Harmer. And so in 1988, we have the Harmer report in Australia. And the Harmer report is in the sense quite similar to the Cork report, uh, not identical, but also um, suggesting, well, we have to look at the community and the impact on the community and society from um, an, you know, liquidation of a company that's running a business that's employing people. And of course, it's not just employees. I mean, it's even customers. You, you, you can think of many people who are affected when uh, a company and its business goes under. So, um, the Harmer report also contained proposals for new mechanisms, and that has then become part 5.3a. Originally, it was inserted into the corporations law, and now we have the Corporations Act of 2001. And that's, of course, my area of particular interest with my PhD. Um, I'm looking at that regime, and so that comprises voluntary administration, and with a view, with a possibility to then the um, execution of a deed of company arrangement, so DACA. The, the good thing about having this regime is that you will sometimes have situations where the problem that the company is experiencing is a temporary liquidity problem. We want to have a solution in that scenario other than liquidation. Um, the economics dictate that, 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 you know, this is a temporary thing, so the company should be saved, its business should continue. And so it's not bad to have these mechanisms available. The, the question that arises is, uh, we only want for viable businesses to be saved. And is there a risk uh, that the mechanism is being used to save businesses that are not viable? Uh, but the, I, I do have to rush to add that uh, I was looking at um, some, some data, there was a survey done that usually VAs, so voluntary administration and DOCUS, deeds of company arrangement, usually there is either liquidation or a quasi-liquidation outcome uh, in practice. So it, it does look that like most of the time, the, the situation ends up uh, with the company being liquidated ultimately. Uh, but, but it's good to have, you know, I'm, I'm not... I'm not saying that we shouldn't have these mechanisms. I'm just saying that uh, they, they probably shouldn't be used uh, in every case where a company is struggling. It's really about viability and, and 
wanting to maximize returns for creditors, I think that that should be driving the use of these mechanisms. And so that probably explains the second part of uh, the title of your article, right? You say, and the zombies arise. You want to tell us that's referring to? Yeah, so something I've noticed in the literature of late is uh, there've been studies that kind of worldwide, there's a rise in so-called zombie companies or zombie firms. So that's a really uh, kind of cool <laughs> label that's been applied, uh, but to a sort of sad situation where you have uh, companies, firms that are uh, barely surviving. And if the marketplace were properly working and uh, really being, um, you know, optimizing things, then these businesses and these companies would not continue uh, because they're, they're, it's one of those cases where they're not profitable, not making the best use of resources. And really what you've got is a situation of assets being clustered in this way. And really we wanna break that up and sort of liberate the assets so that they can move to their best use in the economy. And a, a really good insolvency system will actually facilitate that, will allow um, the breakup of assets, their sale, so that those assets, and, and also, you know, to liberate employees as well, going back to what we were talking about before, um, they shouldn't be trapped in uh, firms that are barely surviving, yeah. that don't have a future, that are unhealthy. Yeah, so um, so we want to liberate the situation basically using insolvency law and uh, allow the marketplace to do what the marketplace does. The difficulty is with these zombie firms is that they really ought to leave, but they're not leaving. Um, and so uh, they're like the walking dead and hence the, the zombie label. Um, and the, the problem I think that sort of uh, arose in my mind is, is there a link between having rescue mechanisms uh, or mechanisms that can be used for rescue, even though they're often used for, for just winding up liquidation. Um, but is there a problem with their sort of indiscriminate use? Is there a problem with not having sufficient filters? And then uh, that perhaps contributing to this phenomenon of zombie companies. So we've got zombie companies on the rise, according to some studies, some recent studies, and then we have rescue mechanisms and, and actually new ones being added. So at the beginning of this year, um, we have a new part inserted into the Corporations Act, uh, part 5.3b, and that provides for uh, restructuring and restructuring plans. And these are sort of more opportunities or more tools that could be used for uh, a company to survive and, and continue when it runs into insolvency or is near insolvency. So. I mean, I'm, again, I'm not saying that it's bad to have them. It's really good to have these tools. Um, it's more about their correct use and optimal use. And I'm wondering whether, uh, you know, this, this sort of rescue culture and, and emphasis on rescue, if, if taken too far, could this be contributing to companies that are really not viable um, or really shouldn't remain in the marketplace that are barely surviving? Should, is there a link there between the ability to 
save a company and those company and then this this rise of companies that should be leaving the marketplace not leaving so i i don't really answer the question i just raise it and uh, i think there should be perhaps more investigation of this is is there a connection and is there a link because it, i think it's it's at least in theory i think it's possible that you could have companies using these rescue mechanisms in order to survive when really they're not particularly viable and perhaps should not be surviving so yeah, that's a great question to raise, and I think relevant in quite a few jurisdictions. Um, I think the empirical data you were referring to was about Australia, but uh, correct, it was about Australia. Well, I, I looked at uh, sort of several studies. One of them that comes to mind was looking at 14 advanced economies. Okay. And focus, yes. And, and I was more interested, of course, in the data for Australia, and yeah. that was one of the economies studied. Yeah. Yeah, because I've seen this sort of uh, thing come up in the news in other jurisdictions as well. So I'm not surprised when you say this is from uh, 14 different economies. So I think it's a great question to ask. And we've had a fascinating discussion leading us up to this question. Before I let you go, I want to ask, do you have any closing or last thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's such a fascinating uh, area to sort of think about, you know, and also like the, the motivations for when we're crafting an insolvency law system, you know, of course we, we care about uh, the humans involved, even though we're dealing with companies and corporate insolvency law. I don't think anybody's sort of sitting there with a handkerchief crying over a company. I think they're worried about the people involved, the directors, the employees, the customers, the suppliers. And I think it's natural and right for us to think about those people. But I think, if, if we look at insolvency law and what, uh, what it's designed to do, I mean, really, you've got this problem of a debt's not paid or, or multiple creditors that are not paid. And so we're trying to solve this sort of economic commercial problem. And it has consequences for humans that are perhaps not sort of strictly, um, not, not strictly economic even, because if you lose your job, that, that's sort of your livelihood, you know, this, this is a bigger issue than just, um, you know, sort of a debt. But, but there are other mechanisms that can be used to address this. Uh, for example, uh, social security. Um, and then we can have programs to try to get people redeployed. Um, we can have more education, training opportunities. So, you don't necessarily have to try to use insolvency law, I think, to solve every problem that arises sort of in the vicinity of an unpaid debt. You can use insolvency law to do what insolvency law does best, which is uh, to deal with this unpaid debt situation. So we want to uh, maximize returns to creditors. We want to fairly distribute the pool of assets among the creditors. And we want to do this in an efficient way. We also want um, to sort of make sure that the process is speedy and you know all of these sorts of things. So, and, and that's great. And if we've got a good insolvency system that, that does this, we can see it maximizing uh, efficiency in the economy as a whole and leading to ideally uh, non-viable businesses being uh, dismantled and then viable ones continuing through periods of temporary uh, low liquidity. But 
if we've got other problems like, well, what about unemployment and things like that, perhaps the, the solution there, rather than trying to use insolvency law to solve every problem, to actually just use different vehicles to address those problems. Um, and, and definitely if, if the immediate concern is, well, people are losing their jobs, um, then social security is something that comes to mind as something that can assist those people while they look for their next opportunity, which hopefully is in a more efficient firm where they actually have long-term prospects um, you know, for, for success. And, and you know, they can wake up in the morning knowing that they're working at a company that's not constantly afraid of, of going under because they're always running out of cash and this sort of thing. So I think my, my final point would be that uh, we, we rightly care about the human beings involved when we're talking about corporate insolvency law, but I think there, there are other options available and it's not necessary to try to use insolvency law to, to fix every every problem that flows from the initial debt scenario. Right, absolutely. I've enjoyed this discussion. Thanks so much for joining me. Me too, thank you so much. <laughs>